My name is Rachel White, and people call me the skeptical shaman. They say it like it's a contradiction, but it's not. For more than a decade, I've been researching and building tools for the spiritually homeless. You know, the curious but critical thinking people that, like me, have had a tough time navigating a landscape of gurus and grifters and crystal hippie people. Searching for a way to fill what Neil Gaiman called that God-shaped hole. All while, of course, not getting taken. As the host of the Skeptical Shaman podcast, I want to help us all develop a map of this confusing terrain. I'm going to talk to everybody. The curious, the skeptical, the cynical, and yes, even the true believers. Together we can safely explore the world of Wu and get closer to some meaningful existential truths. This is The Skeptical Shaman. Okay, everyone, welcome to the Skeptical Shaman podcast. I am your host, Rachel White of Totem Readings, and I am deeply honored by the presence of our guest today, a warrior in the truest sense of the word, not the cliched sense, Susan Dones. Susan is busy, busy, busy helping people, helping people get out of bad dynamics, helping them heal, but she's also quite known for her presence and appearance on HBO's docuseries about Nexium called The Vow, among other docuseries and interviews. So Susan, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit and tell everyone what you're up to now as well? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Rachel. It's it's an honor to be with you too, and especially on this special day of the, of the solstice. Yeah. So um, gosh, what do I say about myself that hasn't been already said? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, I was in Nexium um, uh, for almost ten years, and um, when I left, I got sued. I think that's probably one of the things that that I'm notoriously known for, and had to represent myself in court. And um, you know, and and the, you know, the truth was on my side, and that was the biggest thing. And so I, you know, I won my court case against seven attorneys, and so um, and and so what I do now is is I work with people. Um, I have a, a degree in psychology, which I had before I went into Nexium. And so when people say, oh, how could you be so stupid to join a cult? Well, I guess I was one of the most stupid people, you know. <laughs> I don't think so at all. Yeah. We'll get into that. I think Nexium yeah. really targeted high-functioning, empathetic Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, it didn't look like a cult at all. People were in business suits. They weren't, you know, like, you know, what people typically think was would be a cult. And, um, you know, they had their 16-day educational training program, and um, they were looking for people to have satellite centers and stuff like that. And I was intrigued with the program, and um, I got a lot out of it. I think people who went to just the 16 days got a lot out of it. And um, if they would have just stuck with that, you know, that kind of training and not added the cult aspect to it, I think people would have gotten a lot out of it. I think they really went astray in, in knowing Keith the way I know Keith now. I think that that was his master plan was to manipulate people and, and get his his way with with people. And so, um, yeah, you know, my plan was to I had a private practice before I went in. And now what I do mostly is I work with cult survivors and people who have had trauma in their life in some yeah. form. You know, you call it a high demand group or you call it a, a cult of one where you've been in an abusive relationship. And that's what I did before. And that's what I'm doing now. I did have a, a um, I have a license 
in massage therapy, um, which I'm not doing now, but I used to do a body-mind practice too for yeah. many, many years where I used to work on um, people who'd been in some form of trauma. I used to work a lot with people who'd been raped or physically abused um, as children or as adults. And I would do a body mind practice, um, but I'm not not doing that kind of practice at this is that time in my life. I'm too busy, you know, with the other yeah. stuff. And then Did I have say that life uh, on the side. The, <laughs> the body keeps the score is probably one of your books. I would admit. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. My yeah. favorite for people because I have a PTSD diagnosis, mm -hmm. and sometimes people don't understand. They go, "Well, you know, you have all these meditation tools," and I go, "It's it's somatic. The body keeps the score." Right, Not yeah. so much. You can do this, but the mind-body connection is really powerful. That's fascinating. I did. Mm -hmm. I realized you had that practice, but I, I didn't understand how integrated they were until you just explained it. Yeah. And to your point about what Nexium looked like and why I find it fascinating, and I think it's it's the sort of standard bearer example for my mm -hmm. space in the woo world, personal development, self-improvement, whatever you want to call it. Because it's, uh, you know, there was that large group awareness training and just personal development coaching based on a lot of um, solid psych fundamentals. I think you'd agree. Like he yeah. stole good stuff. He mm -hmm. knew where to take from and how to maybe integrate it. So it would work and, you know, in a certain way. And that's what got people in and kept them in. And the suits and the whole thing, I can't imagine that's an accident. He wanted to convey a real image of professionalism and success. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it 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 was really a disguise in a lot of ways. You know, the 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 business attire and things like that. And um, maybe Nancy Salzman brought that in because that was her practice before. You know, as more of a professional thing. She worked with a lot of corporate clients and stuff. Yeah. You know, and my career started out in the military, and I started out as a, a aircraft mechanic, and then I did a lateral transfer over and and. Um, got trained as an alcohol treatment specialist. And in that, when I worked inpatient, we worked with a lot of PTS survivors, you know, from um, um, from the Vietnam War and then, you know, um, in Beirut, the people have been in Beirut and stuff like that and stuff. So I learned a lot about PTSD in, in that field in regards to that. And so I started out early on in working with um PTSD in regards to that. And so, you know, and then it just grew, you know, after I got out of the military, I was in 10 years and worked a lot in the fields of addiction and um, PTSD. And then when I got out, went to graduate school and stuff like that, I just carried on. And then I got interested in body work from an, an injury I had, yeah. you know, and was getting, getting my own body work. And I, you know, like, like I was getting some work on my glutes. And I had a lot of anger come up and I said, I don't know what you're doing, but like, you know, I have this anger come up and my therapist said, well, you know, the body stores emotions. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. kind of thing. And so when she explained to me, I've, I got to find out about this kind of thing. It was incredible. We did a virtual retreat not that long ago, like just a thing for people on the weekends on Zoom where you're in the privacy and comfort of your own home. And someone, I, I'm going to feel terrible because I can't remember who did this, but I remember the session. I was, you know, I'll facilitate a session that I also receive and I participate in the others. That's part of the joy of it for me. And we were doing tapping. Oh, mm -hmm. I think it was Brooke. Shout out to Brooke. 
And when we got right here to this part of the sternum and I was tapping you with both fingers very gently, a wave of nausea and mm. incredible amounts of discomfort came up and I had to kind of stop for a minute. I was like, oof, there's something in there, right? Right, yeah. And tabling it for when I'm not, you know, in a maybe a leadership role for like exploring that and pump the brakes a little bit. But you really learn so much about yourself through the body and somatic response. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that struck me about what you were just talking about as well is doing the work you did with people PTS after combat and now working with cold survivors, trauma survivors, coercive control, you know, people who've gotten out of those dynamics. What are the parallels you see across them all? Because the the PTS is what it is. It has different manifestations maybe or different causes. But what are the most common threads you see across your work? Well, it's it's really not that different, you know, because it's all com it's all combative. I mean, fight fight and flight is the same, you know, in regards to that. Because after I got out of when I was done with my lawsuit, I started looking for work. And the best thing that I could have done for myself was to look for work with the government. And so I got a job um, working at Madigan Army Hospital. And I got a job as a massage therapist working in the pain clinic. And we had an integrative program uh, at the Army Hospital. And so I, I worked with um, uh, patients coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq and stuff like that. And all of those people had tremendous um, PTS, you know, and stuff like that. And then working, you know, I, I never went, the day I left Nexium, I never gave up trying to um, take down Keith and Nancy, you know. So the thing is, we had our little side group and we, we continued to work at taking down, you know, getting Keith and Nancy exposed and stuff like that. And so and working with people as they would leave Nexium, you yeah. people would contact me. Our family members would contact me and say, "My sister's stuck in Nexium. What can I do?" You know. And so working with families of people stuck in in Nexium or other cult members, you know, would contact me and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, trauma is trauma, and it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if you're on the on the battlefields of a war zone or if you're in the battlefield of of being in a cult trauma is trauma and so I don't really see that there is much difference in in my work with cult survivors or one-on-one -on -one if somebody's been you know physically or emotionally abused in a one-on-one -on -one relationship or in some of the legal work that I'm doing with people if they've been falsely accused of a crime you know and yeah. found guilty and spent years in prison and now they're out fighting to like try to overturn their conviction it's the same thing. Trauma yeah. is trauma. The, the trauma will is the same. And that's really powerful. And I've, you know, I always knew that I had some trauma, but I've also in the last two years really realized how dismissive of my trauma I've been because it's not, you know, shell shock from Normandy, right? And we have a habit of doing that. And I think women in particular are very dismissive of their forms of trauma because it's not as whiz-bang, maybe, to an outside observer. And I wanted to ask you about a book that I recently read that blew my mind. Like, I was really on this for a couple months, and I learned about the author from Mark Vicente, who you also know, and it's called Believing Me, the Ingrid Clayton book. 
mm-hmm. where she's a trauma therapist for, I don't know, 20, 30 years. I, I don't remember the exact duration and always dismissed and minimized her own trauma mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. finally realized like, oh my God, I was traumatized. These are trauma responses. And her focus on that fourth F of fawn kind of unlocked it for her, which was she's a workaholic, which is flight, right? But also this fawning of like saving people, pulling them out of the fire. And what she was really on some level trying to do was pulling herself out of the fire. Um, and the intro to her book is incredible because, you know, it's mainly about her stepfather. And she just wrote like, he didn't rape me. It wasn't that bad. Like all those thoughts that you have to marginalize your own pain or trauma. And, you know, I think more people have trauma than they know, particularly, by the way, during COVID. Um, If your business fell apart, if you lost relationships, the fear, the anxiety of it, the disconnection from society. So what are some things, Susan, that anyone listening to this could look for? And obviously it manifests differently in everybody. I get angry too, like you. Like usually that's my emotional release is that anger during a massage or something. But things that people might overlook or dismiss that could be an indication that, you know, their body's keeping the score. Oh, that their body's keeping the score? Yeah, or their brain or their life or any 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 and all. Yeah. Well one, if you're if you're um if you're quick to be defensive with people that are really close to you, you know, or if you're quick to be defensive, you know, like if you go to a restaurant, if you find things intolerable, you know, that kind of thing. I think is is a good indication. Um, you know, if if you have a or if you're really hard on yourself, you know, uh, is another really good indication um, that you know, or if you're unwilling to talk about certain things that um, that have happened to you, you know, that's a really good indication. Like, um, nobody wants to admit that they can't handle <laughs> their their drama, you know, and that's one of the biggest things is, is that, um, nobody wants to talk about, you know, it's like, oh, I can handle this thing, you know, and that's one of the things that I did, um, is I took a big break, you know, and I went to therapy, you know, and I just, you know, I can't tell you how many boxes of Kleenex I went through, you know, in therapy, but I, I just really needed to, um, I just needed to talk about it. You know, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is, is that people just need to be heard, you know, in, in, in a lot of times, you know, our friends don't want to listen, you know, or if they'll say, they'll say, oh, well, that happened to me too. Or they'll say, oh, you need to buck up, you know, or, or things mm-hmm. like that. And so, um, sometimes just somebody just needs to listen or a therapist will want to jump in and fix it for you. Right. You know, kind of thing. And really what need, you know, people don't need their skills built right away. They just need somebody to listen, you know. need to let a little air out of the tires yeah. for a second instead of everything being so constricted and, and tight. And, you know, when you said sometimes people just need to be heard, um, I had a recent experience, very unexpected source, which is one of these funny shaman things. You like kind of take the wisdom where it comes from. In this case, it's Sheila LaBeouf of all things. So I know how that sounds, trust me. But I heard him say something that was a real watershed for me in an interview. Um, are you familiar with Real Ones, that podcast with John Bernthal? 
No, gosh, it's, there's so many podcasts. It's, yeah, it's like, what it sounds like, though. And yeah. he talks a lot to men. You know, it's sort of like the yang to the female yin mm-hmm. personal development podcast space. And he had Sheila Buff on and everything I knew about him, I, I sort of detested because I grew up with a lot of domestic violence and a lot of male chaos and things like that. And he had been sued for being abusive to an ex in civil court and all these scandals were coming out. And he sat down with John Bernthal and, you know, I'm, it's a long and wonderful interview, but at one point he goes, you know, when I first got sued, I called my lawyer and I said, this part's true and this part's not. And I didn't do that. And that didn't happen on that day. And he goes, at a certain point, like after he got sober, he goes, it doesn't matter because I put hands on a woman. Like none of these details matter. And it's the first time in my life I ever heard a man say the words, I put hands on a woman who actually did. Mm -hmm. And I had a tremendous emotional release hearing the words. And it's like, do I like Sheila Booff now? Like I I'm, I wrote him a letter to his agent because I was like, thank you for saying that has to be number one. You're in an active lawsuit to say you're guilty in right. full plain view of the public. The video is like four million views on YouTube or something mm-hmm. is wild. I'm sure his lawyer had a heart attack and I don't think he cares anymore because he's right. out of his loop, you know, and he wants to stay sober and he wants to be a good person. And that starts with like, you know, saying the ugly true thing and one of the things that I love about the vow, and I know it's your life's experience, so it's a little effed to think of it as like a helpful tool for other people who didn't live it. But if I have a client who doesn't understand the dynamic they're in, and I send them to watch that, and they hear Bonnie or you or Barbara, any of these survivors, whistleblowers, say something, and it it will energetically just run through their body. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh my God, they just said the thing I've always wanted someone to say i needed to hear i need to say it's words are very powerful magic Mm -hmm. for good and for bad yeah no yeah i can't tell you how many people have contacted me through my website and said the vow woke me up yeah you know like i was into mlm and the vow woke me up yeah and the whole coaching landscape is full of these things you've got stuff like you know landmark and all these big you know group awareness trainings and and even like the Tony Robbins kind of stuff and all of that. You know, being a shaman, I've always been highly suspicious of it, probably because I grew up in the abusive dynamics I did as a child, where I'm like, just because you're authority doesn't mean you know anything. And your desire for this authority and this prominence is really sus to me, which is hilarious because I'm always looking for a community. So there's the paradox, right? (laughs) Um, But the vow woke me up and I, I, I didn't think I needed waking up. Like I'd already gotten in you know, screaming matches with women who owned yoga studios, taking advantage of people when they're in a meditative state to get them to sign up for yoga package. Like I'd already, I didn't know there were other gears on the uh, bitch switch, but the valve helped open those. We have more horsepower now, if you will. And I also realized like I I went to therapy once, Susan, because I was worried I was combative in the healing space. I was like, what's going on with me that I I seem to pick on people or I notice I picky you. And like I was having a lot of critical self-talk mm-hmm. and I'm like oh my god they're all criminals like it was a baptism it it was great and also yeah. I wanted him to go to jail forever because as you recall the first season came out when he was still kind of operating ish right. yeah. or it was right next to that I know the last episode he got arrested um so in terms of that and and Keith and I would say Nancy you know I got way more triggered by Nancy in the second season oh yeah um yeah, and I think she's, oh, this is my opinion, I'm an American, I'm entitled to it. I think there's pathology there. 
I don't think that's just like, this was a weird thing that happened to me. Um, what do you recommend people look for in terms of red flags? Like it's a yoga instructor, it's a coach, it's someone heading up a retreat. Your friend wants you to get in on this legging opportunity, sell some ugly leggings with her. What are some of the character attributes that you've noticed in your wide experience to just steer clear from or take note of, maybe? Yeah, well, I think anybody who who thinks they're the, the authority, you know, like I'm the world's greatest authority of this of this thing, you know, and then, um, you know, like if you you can't question them, you know, like like I just had an experience where like I couldn't question the person, you know, because if I questioned them, then I was immediately, you know, my opinion was like, how, like, how dare you question me kind of thing, you know, it's kind of like that was a huge red flag, you know. It's like I read this book. Oh, gosh, it was years ago. And this person talks about, you know, like you have this shelf behind you and that these red flags go on the shelf and, you know, the shelf collapses and you wake up, you know, and that's what wakes you up from a cult, you know. And, and I talk about how my shelf in Nexium was made out of a redwood forest kind of thing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it, and now my shelf is like really paper thin and stuff. And so when, you know, red flags are things that like, you know, cults work to cut off your intuition kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, if you get like a, a like if you notice when you start to go into fight or flight, like, oh, you know, <laughs> that like that punches me in the gut or like, wow, that scares me. Those things are those things are your red flags. Like if you if I feel like, you know, somebody's pressuring me to blow smoke up my ass or any of those kinds of things or they're trying to pressure me into a contract i like say well let me think about that you know, like, yeah like this is an example um i have a a, a a 19 i have a 2020 truck that has 11,000 miles on it because i'm retired and i work mostly from home right yeah <laughs> well i'm retired from a job job right yeah and so the air conditioning went out in it that's funny. Ours just went out this week. It's been a whole trauma. Yeah. So I took it to the, I took, I, and I have an extended warranty on it. So I took it to the, the auto mechanics yesterday and, and he's like trying to tell me all these things that might be wrong with it. And, um, and like, it might cost me all this money because it's not, doesn't fit under my warranty. Well, I was an aircraft mechanic. I'm not, I was just right. going to say, yeah, you know, and, and I said, like, do you think I fell off the banana wagon yesterday? I said, <laughs> You know, like I was an aircraft mechanic. I said, I don't think any of those things are wrong with it. And like, if you're going to charge me $550 to recharge it, I said, give me the truck back. I'll take it to my regular mechanic because I know he doesn't charge 500 And then he starts the backpedal. You know? Right. <laughs> That's a great, great example. And also the idea of sometimes not making a decision. Right. Just saying, you know what, I'm going to take a minute with this. I'm going to sit in, as humans, we have, I think it's the time scarcity and everything else with our society where we feel like we have to make a decision right then. There's that ticking clock. And what's wild about that is when I was in corporate, I went to a sales training that I think was originally developed by, um, what was his name? He ran George W. Bush's campaign, Carl Rove, okay. right? Yeah. That gives you an insight into corporate at its highest levels where they're like, we need that guy to tell us what's up. And they talk about creating urgency. 
So you establish latent pain, meaning like you're balding. You just don't know it yet. It's going to happen any second. And there's that urgency. And if you don't start taking this medication, you know, you can't prevent hair loss. And so you're you're giving them this tiny little window to make a decision because it shuts off their frontal lobe. No one makes good decisions that way. <laughs> so it's... Yeah, it's like you can always say, like even when a friend is saying, oh, I need a decision now. Do you want to go to this concert? It's like, let me think about that, you know? Right. It's like you can always say, I I need time to make that decision, you know? And do so you also think it's important for people who've gotten out of these dynamics to give themselves permission to change their minds too? Oh, We, yeah. we seem to pathologically feel this need to keep our commitments even when it's irrational. Well, absolutely. I mean, like, I, I think the pendulum swings in a couple of different ways when you leave a high demand organization. You either jump into another one or like for me, it's like I'm not even joining a bowling league because they wear, have to wear the same color shirts. You know? Yeah, I don't do matching outfits either. Yeah. That's why I never worked. I'm a yoga instructor, completely certified, certified meditation coach. I've never worked at a yoga studio as an employee because it just got it's just gets so weird so fast. The minute you say, in my case, like I eat meat and I drink scotch and you get the lecture and you get the the pressure. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not in your club or whatever this is. Like, it's fine. What do you care? I mean, yeah. if someone tells me they're vegan, I'm like, live live your best life. Go nuts. And what's right. really funny is I interviewed a uh, somewhat famous like demonologist exorcist. They made a movie about his life story. And I asked him, I said, what do you do when someone doesn't believe? this stuff that these things exist and this has shaped your whole life and he goes i tell i don't tell him anything go watch a football game what do i care and i'm like yeah we need a little more of that i think too right yeah yeah <laughs> and he's a true believer but he's like i don't know it's your problem i got stuff going on i just rescued a cat i'm busy you know and it's just those are the people i can hang with and what's funny is he's super conservative catholic right I'm like he's way more chill than some of the uh yogis i know yeah. Well, it's always a red flag for me when somebody, one, tells you how you should live your life, you know, and they're the authority of the world, you know. Yeah. It's like run run to the forest. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I don't do that. It, I call it I don't like being managed very much. And I tend to I tend to start feeling very claustrophobic when someone tries managing me. Uh -huh. um, and there's a great deal of it in my community, for want of a better way of putting it. I don't go to meetings or anything. I don't know what constitutes a community. But the idea of like a wellness coach or a life coach or, you know, all these various people, they they get a little drunk on their own knowledge or illusion of knowledge. And it becomes Mark Vicente, thank God, has sort of identified the spiritual narcissism as a real thing. And I always say to them, and even if they're facilitating session for a retreat I'm hosting, I'll interrupt and say, for you. Like, I always try and do that. Like, everybody's different. And you don't know okay. people's stories, their physiologies, what, you know, everybody's. If I didn't eat meat, I would, I, I've done it before. I basically die. Like, I start dying. It's just a thing for me, right? And, right. you know, it's fine. Wear your Morrissey t-shirt. I love Morrissey too. It's cool. Uh, you know, it's cool if you think meets murder and we can just sit in there's, you know, I think social media too has made things very tribal where if I don't do their thing, I'm a bad person. Like yeah. I don't care about animals. I'm a murderer. I'm a bad person. 
Yeah. When I went to Nexium, there's a lot of people were vegetarians or vegans and um, I heard that and he didn't drink either, did he? Uh well, not that we know of, but you yeah. know. Or he but, didn't like know, other people to drink alcohol, I guess is a better way of putting it. Yeah. Well, and and I ate meat and people would be like, How can you eat meat? Because you're not supposed to and I'd be like, says who, you know? Right. That kind of thing. So I like I would zip off to the little local um diner and I would have my, you know, my and then at my center, you know, I would eat meat and stuff. And people would be like, how can you do that? And because like I'm a carnivore, you know, yeah. and Lauren Salzman one time said, how can you kill an animal? And I said, because that's why they're here, you know, yeah. for us to eat. And she and I said, don't you think I said, don't, don't. <laughs> I said, don't you think like a broccoli has a spirit and like when you cut its little head off to eat like the other broccoli around it like go like how could you kill our friend right away we know yep. that that's true now someone did a research study and michael pollan wrote about it in his book right have a shared consciousness <laughs> she said she she went running to her mom and she said mom susan said that broccoli have a spirit and we're killing the spirit of the planet <laughs> she got awful flustered about it and i said you know, the thing is, is that, you know, if we're going to eat something, we should honor the fact that we're eating it. And because it's giving us substance and like, get over yourself. You know? Yeah. Life, like, life eats life. Like, don't I like the you. idea of that little broccoli wicker man or something, especially on the solstice, like some ceremonial <laughs> sacrifice. <laughs> See, I'm such a smart ass. If I was in, I would build an effigy of like a broccoli man. Like I, I go so deep on my smart assery, which is why I was in, the ticking clock was on me in corporate from the very beginning because it's very culty too. <laughs> yeah. And I have that chaos creator thing in me when I, I feel like someone's trying to manage me. There's, there's a cognitive dissonance, like you pointed out. Everything has a life force. Animism. <laughs> you know, my client friend, Britt, we just released our podcast episode. She's a practicing witch. She's like, everything is a spirit. It's the, you know, the root of animism and witchcraft. And so we respect everything kind of a right. thing. Yeah, everybody's different. Um, now, in terms of your work now and how people can reach you, who you think, you know, would be a good fit for you to work with mm -hmm. in terms of clients. I mean, you said you offer this pro bono, which is incredible of you. God bless yes. you. Yeah, some people I, I do pro bono. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, they can reach me through my website. It's just my name, susandones.com. So they can reach, reach me through my, through, through my website. So I have limited times that I work with people. And then, um, you know, I, I've done some, um, some work with, um, people that have some legal matters, um, and stuff. My, my hope is to eventually build, um, um, a resource of attorneys and, um, paralegals that can not, sponsor people because um you you know a lot of attorneys can't take people on pro bono but um i represented myself by taking an online course and it's it's called um how to win in court you know i love it the same price it was before but um not everybody wants to do that and not everybody yeah. um has the time to do that but i was forced to do that other than that and then to um you know face having to deal with axiom winning in court and then, I don't think people realize the absolute trauma of vexatious litigation. Yeah. I think a lot of people assume if someone sues you, they have a good reason for it. And that is kind of the opposite. A lot of lawsuits are issued just to intimidate, 
mm-hmm. or to draw first blood or to wear you down and drain you and exhaust you. And that was obviously featured in the first and second seasons of The Vow. And right. even for women in abusive relationships with the financial abuse, if you leave some of those people, they will sue you. Yes. Um, when I left my ex, who absolutely intended to and threatened to kill me, and I had to trick him into leaving the house, and I moved out of my home in under an hour, by the way, cross country, because we went to one couple's therapy session, Susan, and the woman called me, and she goes, I'm violating every oath. You need to get out, and you need to not tell him. Like, this is a thing that's going on. Yeah. I did that. He was threatening to sue me. He called the police for leaving him. Like, you know, and the cop called me. He goes, so basically what he's saying is someone stole his girlfriend. That someone is his girlfriend. I was like, right. And the cop was like, okay, thanks. Sorry. Right. One of those things. Yeah. Um, with all of that, I mean, do you see any changes with minimizing vexatious litigation, whether it's a cult or just any other group? Like, you know, these MLMs, Herbalife, you know, Scientology, they don't like you talking about them and they use the law as a weapon. Um, Any advice out there? I mean, reaching out to you, looking into how to win your case of court and all these things, but anything else that you've learned during your challenging uh, odyssey? It it is very Odysseus, what you've been through. Unfortunately, right right now, anybody in the United States can sue anybody. Um, It's wild. Yeah. The thing is, is that I, I think, um, one of the things that, that um, you know, in regards to, you know, this kind of litigation is is starting to do countersuits. Like I was too exhausted when I left to do a counter lawsuit. And so, you know, if we can come up with a mechanism to start to do counter lawsuits where, you know, like you're suing me for no good reason. And so and if we can start to do counter lawsuits and people can start to win these counter lawsuits that um, it can stop this, um, you know, this vicious litigation and stuff like that. I, I know um, right now, you know, some of the victims of Nexium is suing, you know, in court. They have a, um, a civil, civil lawsuit. I don't agree with all of what's going on in that civil lawsuit because I seem, think some victims are suing some of the victims. You yeah. that um, I don't necessarily because Nikki's one of the defendants listed, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Nikki is, but uh, you know, there's some other stuff going on in the lawsuit that I don't personally agree with. But that's just my opinion, and it's America. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank right God. In, in regards to that, and so, um, so, um, but I won't go into it in the podcast. But you know, but yeah, there's some stuff going on in that the lawsuit. Some of it I agree with. Um, but they like they let Nancy Salzman, the attorneys in the the lawsuit, have already released Nancy Salzman from the lawsuit, and I thought that that was really bad. Out of anybody who should be sued, it should be Nancy and Keith Raniere. You know, Nancy yeah. should have never been let out of that lawsuit, and that how she got let out, just I don't know. And it really that that pissed me off. That's really interesting because she was the president of the company. Right. She was the president of the company. She should have never been let out of responsibility of that lawsuit. So there's an interesting thing in our society where, in, and I grew up this way, and I'll just state again, this is my opinion, wink. But, you know, women can be narcissists and they can be abusers. And when their mothers in particular, society, it's almost like a blind spot of, well, she can't be pathological because she's a mother. 
or something. <laughs> it's if I was going to run a cult or a scam, I you know I drum up some fake kids. I'd, I'd wear that costume for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I'm and, not sure it benefited her children very much. Oh God, no. Especially Lauren, you know, yeah. in you know, it's like. I had a difficult time watching season two of The Vow because Me too. Nancy was my main abuser and she was the main abuser of so many people in that cult. And she, in my opinion, and I said this at her sentencing, I told the judge, I said, you know, and I pointed at her and I said, she criminalized Allison Mack and she criminalized Claire Broffman and she got less time than Claire Broffman. And that was a horrible thing. She should have got more time than Claire Broffman. Yeah, you know, Claire Brockman came into the into Nexium to be a better equestrian. She didn't come in to be a criminal, right? Yeah, and you know, there's on the vow. I'm not speaking to anything that's not sort of public record through the documentary, but it was quite obvious that she understood the functional mechanics of the business, the financial aspects of the business, and you know, when you're staring at objective data, I just you know, there's something there that's not connecting for people that I I find odd and as i mentioned to you you know before we started i got particularly triggered by it and by her even how the filmmakers seem to interact with her mm-hmm. uh yeah i've never yelled at the television war and to walk away it's, it was almost as bad as the succession finale like it, it, like you know is is it time to go back to therapy no one should do that to me <laughs> and you you think you've already hit exhaustion point with your rage with keith right and then mm-hmm. he goes to prison you're like oh thank god you know and then and then you're like oh it's She's, I really thought watching that, I didn't think she was good going in and it just hit me how much worse it was. Mm-hmm. And just the effects on everyone, particularly, and you don't have to talk specifics if you don't want to, but I, I have heard from others that upon leaving, like if you wanted space from the group, Nancy was sort of the main enforcer in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It would torment you. Yeah. She, yeah. Well, when I left, they they shunned me, which was good news, bad news. They but they shunned me from my fr- the people who were my good friends in Nexium, you know. And and so the thing is, is that but they shunned me because I had information that they didn't want me to pass along to people, yeah. and especially about the money laundering, you know, and the fact that um, I knew Keith was sleeping with women. And then after I left, somehow Keith became became a celibate guy, and it's like. You know, and I asked one of my friends after I left who contacted me after she got out, which was after DOS got exposed. I said, when did he become celibate? You know, he was never celibate, you know, because I would ask Nancy, you know, is is Keith sleeping with so and so? And she said, well, we don't talk about that. She never denied it. It was just like, we just don't talk about it. And then all of a sudden he became celibate, you know, because, you know, Sarah Edmondson's talking about, well, he was celibate. You know, we were told he was celibate. And I'm like, when, when did he become celibate? You know? What a rebrand. And, and it's like, how could you not tell? I could tell. Like, he would come to the center and, like, he would glom on a woman and she would yeah. glom on to him. And you could tell that there was, like, this romantic energy between them. It's like, how could you not tell? And I would go to Nancy and say, oh, well, is he sleeping with so-and-so? And she would say... You know, it's like, well, we don't talk about that. It's like, well, then he shouldn't bring it to the center. You, you know? know, you just pointed out a very interesting thing that I, I want to just mention, and maybe we can we can start to wrap on this. But with so many things, whether it's an abusive partner, 
an abusive company, employer, or one of these groups of any variety. Um, they tend to say one thing and then do another. And the human proclivity is believing the words. And, you know, I'm not that big into Christianity, but Jesus had some good quotes, right? And one of them was, you will know them by their fruits. Mm-hmm. And what you just said is amazing because there's a cognitive dissonance. Like, wait, I was told he was celibate, but I'm se- like, almost like my lying eyes. Getting people to a place where they don't believe their own eyes and ears and they listen to words of elders or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do you recommend people maybe navigate that weird cognitive dissonance that comes up of like, wait, I was told he's celibate. I'm watching this as an example. Yeah, it's it's almost like they don't want to take in take in the information. It's It's like, I want to believe that this organization that I belong to is this thing that I envision. So because I want to believe that, I won't take in this other information. You know, it's like I won't take in that he's like caressing this woman in 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 a way that he doesn't caress other women's arms, right. you know, and and they kiss differently than, you know, other and he pays attention to her in a way that he doesn't pay attention to other women you know, that kind of thing. It, it, so it, it's like they won't take in the information. It's like their blinders go on and then they cover their eyes. And so they they, they won't step back long enough to take in information because they want to believe that this organization is one way instead of the way it is in reality. You just explained our whole world, by the way. I don't know if you did that on purpose, but we live in a time where it's, you know, shut up. You're not the expert, you know, like with your car story, mm-hmm. the the metaphor would be someone saying, you know, Susan, who are you? Henry Ford. What do you know? Listen to the salesman. And we live in those times. And there's an interesting pressure convergence between, you know, I'm bullish on humanity where humans, I think, are getting very empowered and very educated, a certain group of them. Right. And they're they're going, no, that explanation is not quite enough for me. Actually, I'm going to keep pressing because you're a public official or whatever it is. And they're they're needling. And then there seems to remain this this remnant maybe of the before times where they're like, yeah, you know, they said they said they're good people. The Sackler family said they just wanted to cure end of life pain for cancer patients. And I believe them because they don't have a profit motive like that sort of a thing. There's still Mm -hmm. quite a bit of that. And I think it's where a lot of our it's like waves crashing at that horizon line in the Caribbean. It's an interesting time to be alive. I mean, I think the hat trick is not going completely insane in the process. Yeah. Well, and people do that in all kinds of relationships, you know. It's, it's yeah. like I I I want to believe my spouse is is the the way I want to envision my relationship, but then my spouse is like mean to me, you know, and and um, you know, says mean things to me and stuff like that, but I'll just put my blinders on and pretend like I have this happily ever after relationship, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, um, it's there's a book I haven't read it yet. I ordered it yesterday called Hyperstimulation, mm-hmm. and it's about how people prefer to live in a hypothetical model of something instead of the real thing. Okay. So, like the guy who stays at home to talk to the fake girlfriend online instead of going out to the bar to meet potentially a real one, or and and they this whole generation of young people younger than me that grew up you know native to the internet finding real reality to be rather um, anticlimactic for them. They don't get that dopamine hit the way they do in the simulacra of the metaverse or whatever it might be. Um, so it's interesting. And with this technology, 
an understanding of the human brain in particular, I think, looking out for culty shit's going to become more important. Because as you know, no one in Naxium said, come on in, we're a cult. Sign away the next X number of years of your life. And by the way, if you try and leave, we're going to sue the shit out of you. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, no one's ever, they don't come out with that. They're going to show their absolute best foot and face forward. Yeah. So um, any any last maybe tips or tricks for anybody who wants to explore, maybe they'd like to find a community, whatever that means, or learn about spirituality or learn about personal development without falling into one of these, you know, pitfalls. Yeah, well, you know, community is a, a tough one nowadays because, you know, there's so many shysters out there oh, totally. you know, and so many people who need to be in control and want to control you and, and stuff like that. I, I think that, you know, you're lucky if you get a good pod together. You know, I think that, you know, yes. it's, you know, instead of a huge community, like get a good pod of friends together, you yeah. know, that you're good friends with and that, you you know, you can... um you you can share a smaller community and have that kind of kind of relationship with you know the in people that don't need to control you and be in charge of you and you know who's the top dog this week and yeah. that kind of thing i like it it's like a decentralization model for yeah practice. i believe in decentralizing everything i think the world's gotten really top down and really big and you know during covid we saw it with the supply chains it's like mm -hmm. so nothing's made in america that's stupid, you know, because it makes you weak and it it's an inverse correlation to resilience right. in a system or in a person. And so one of the things, because, you know, I'm from Chicago, I spent my whole life there. I was very resourceful there and very connected to very good people. Mm -hmm. And we moved to Texas. We knew no one. And we, this is woo, weird people shit, but we had our choice of homes and I picked a number three address because it's for sociability and mm -hmm. meeting people and making friends. I know these are weird little OCD ticks you develop in shamanism, but it's worked in, in prioritizing meeting people in real life mm -hmm. and not necessarily people that you think you have a bunch in common with, but you you may. Mm -hmm. uh, like we've made friends with a married couple here, the gentleman's an ex-Green Beret, ex-Chicago, New Orleans cop, like mm -hmm. gun guy, teaches people how to shoot guns, self-defense, knife work and shit. And we went out shooting guns with them. Mm -hmm. And I had the time of my life. And, it, you know, I did a hard thing that made me uncomfortable. And that was mm -hmm. like a bonding moment. And him having come from the military is the last part is and who's going to tell anyone what to do or want to be told what to do. So All right. it's it's a good fit. And, yeah, I like that, the decentralizing and getting in touch with a pod. And don't you think in person is you need to make real friends in real life? Yeah. Yeah. And and I have friends that, that live around the world now and, yeah. and you know, in we connect, you know, over Zoom and we connect, you know, on the phone and through email and stuff like that. But, you know, I have good friends that live close to me too, you know, and family members and stuff like that. But I don't need a huge community anymore that we're like-minded and we have this vision of what we're going to do purposefully in the world kind of thing, you know, because somebody always has to be in charge, you know, and, and be the authority and, and stuff like that. And it's kind of, oh, I'm so over that. You know. Maybe the harder and more impactful work is getting your your own shit together. Yeah, personally, funny. I mean, there's great podcasts out there, and take what you can, you know, from it, and yeah. leave what what doesn't fit for you. And there's great books out there, and you know, and uh, great videos and stuff like that. And you know, I can watch a movie, and the movie overall can just be a piece of shit. But like, there might be one or two great lines in there that just yeah. really resonate with me, and I'll just like 
stop it and I'll write the line down and really think about how that fits into my life and, you know, take that walk away and think about it for a week. That's actually a very shamanic concept of you. you we don't choose where inspiration comes from. Right. And, you know, I get teased and it's, it's very good natured. But on my sub stack where I write, I'm like, so in this episode of Westworld, or, you know, I was listening to Joe Rogan interview David Goggins. And David Goggins and I couldn't have less in common. Right. You yeah. know, every time he's like, come on, bitch, get up and run. I'm like, ugh, like, I'm already out. Like, I just am not fired at all I can. But him talking about his abusive father was interesting to me. And, you know, other people in not so, not so sweet a way will tease me, you know, if I say, hey, did you listen to that Joe Rogan episode? They're like, he's a far right extremist. I'm like, you're right. The pothead comedian is goose stepping. Like we need mm -hmm. to keep an eye on him. Like it and I wish people would understand you can go into realms that are not necessarily yours and find little nuggets. Yeah. Yeah. Don't and the echo chamber thing too. Like I had a CEO when I worked in corporate real estate that really impressed me. He was not typical. He was very heart led, empathetic human, like a human being. And he went up on stage at this big offsite and he said, I'm going to give you all an assignment. I want you to read one thing every week that's not about corporate real estate. And he goes, I got a subscription to Guns and Ammo magazine. He goes, I don't own a gun. I don't like guns. But there might be an invent a physical engineering invention with a gun that suddenly sparks an idea for a corporate real estate solution over here. And you don't know if you don't get exposed to it. And it's that alchemy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and people should still explore. It is scary out there. So I get a lot of calls about, hey, you know, I was looking at this. Should I go? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, you know, here are some tips, but you got to trust yourself. And also don't stay in your house either. Go out there. Some There might be some hiccups, as there have been for me. You know, I went to shaman school. And the woman started putting the lien on me to loan her money for her rent and stuff. It was a big bummer, but I still got stuff out of the program. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, Susan, I'm going to include in the show notes where everybody can reach you and reach out and follow you on social. Um, you're on Instagram. And that's where you post. What, what's the name of the cards that you have in your client? Badass cards. Yeah. I am going to have to buy them. I love a card deck and badass cards. So they're like, are they inspirational or empowering well, quotes? Well, not. They're, just, they're kind of a kick in the ass cards, you okay. know? Yeah. Yeah, and so I do them after I work with somebody. I pull their badass. There's there's a uh, uh, there's two decks, and so I just pull one's kind of a one is affirmations for a badass, and the other one is <laughs> advice for a badass. I love it. Yeah, it's very it's very much in the vein of stoicism. Yeah, too. Like you're a badass, so let's let's act like it. So as you know. On the Skeptical Shaman podcast, we have a sponsor. It's the Totem Tarot deck, and the woman who developed it is a real bitch. And if we don't fit one of her cards in, I I I, I love her already. <laughs> um, my my friend and producer Roger, we've been noodling on some ideas to make fake commercials just to be smart asses about like interdimensional riffs or the Mandela effect. And if I'm not liable or responsible over here, the Totem Tarot deck manufacturing company. So pull a, a card for you, but it's not just for you. It's for the discussion and the group. And every time I've done this, it's been yeah. wildly on point, which is, you know, more proof that Jung kind of knew what he was doing. You love tarot as well. And I'll go ahead and pull one. 
Um, this is nice. It's I got the chills because she's the uh, goddess of midsummer. I wrote about this on Substack. It's Titania, the star card. Okay. So today's the brightest, longest day of the year. The sun, which is yeah. a star, is at its peak. And this card is all about resurrection and light at the end of the tunnel and hope. I think the word we gave it in the deck, because I tried to give all the cards like one word to just mm -hmm. people to remember, to help them learn. Um, hope is hard. I think hopelessness is sort of certain and easy, and it's why so many people are black-pilled and you know, they're in the comments trolling and, and whatever, because there's a there's a weird low vibration certainty to hopelessness. Mm -hmm. And once you start hoping and you start healing, like I think a lot of accountability and agency comes online. And there's also the chance that something could go wrong and people, they don't talk about blinders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I just registered to vote in Texas. And everyone's like, what are you doing? It doesn't matter. Your vote doesn't count. I'm like, then let me just have my nonsense. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I, I have to believe in hope. And most of our problems are human generated. And I think they're human solved. Right. But not if we don't have hope. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Titania is. Um, did you ever read William Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream? No. So it's the main character because it's sort of her night in Midsummer. And right, yeah. it's uncanny of 78 cards to pull that one. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much, Susan. Oh, you're so welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you.